Good morning, Miles City. We are so glad to be with you today. And if this is your first time with us, let me just say thank you for taking time out of your week to be with our online community. I'm excited today to be a part of this last talk on our series, Carols. And man, I have enjoyed this series, but I have to be honest about something. I am not that big a fan of Christmas songs. In fact, I personally think there are only about eight to 10 good Christmas songs. And by the time Christmas gets here, I am tired and I am sick of listening to them. And if you feel differently, that's fine. We can still be friends. But if one of your favorite songs is Santa Baby, or if you happen to have the Hanson Christmas CD, then I'm afraid we can't be friends. And I'm just kidding, but not really. But you know, we want that, those songs and those carols to be what Christmas really is like, but most of the time Christmas is a lot more messy. And we get excited because we see Christmas on Instagram and we see these pictures of beautiful trees and lights and cookies and holiday pictures and all these things that look great. But really, if we were honest, Christmas at our house looks a little more like something threw up in our bedroom. And you go in there and the bed is unmade and it's covered in wrapping paper and tissue paper and Christmas bags and stuff's all over the floor. Or maybe your kids can't find their Christmas pajamas so they actually look homeless the night before Christmas. Or maybe if it's been like at my house before, one of your kids gets the flu the night before. And so the picture looks like saltine crackers and ginger ale on the nightstand with the barf bowl on the floor. And really, that is more like what Christmas would be like. In fact, some of us, we struggle with the idea of working so hard to make our house look perfect, to have people over that we really don't like that much, but we have to see because they're family. And maybe you struggle with Christmas because it brings back unpleasant memories, Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe something tragic happened in your life around the holidays. And every time Christmas rolls around, you struggle. And maybe some of you are sitting here today and you're going, you know what? I want this to be quick and easy, this talk to be over so that I can get back to the hubbub of everything I have going on because I have so much stuff left to do. Because let's be honest, we are five days away from Christmas. So today, I want you to do me a favor. I just want you to take a deep breath. Go ahead and take that deep breath. And I want you to relax. And I want you to listen and see what this last Christmas carol has to say to you. Because let's be honest. Sometimes I get lost in the hubbub of Christmas too. And sometimes I get involved in good things of the giving of gifts. And man, it's exciting to focus on the gifts and all the things that are going on. But then I start worrying about how much money am I spending? How much debt am I going into to make sure Christmas is special? And I forget what Christmas is really about. And I forget what's important. So today I want you to ask God, I want you to ask him this question. Who should we be telling the good news of Christmas to? But before we jump into it, let's pray. God, we thank you today for this opportunity. We thank you for your love for us. God, thank you for sending your son to be born and to live a life so that he could die and be rose again so that we could have a relationship with him. God, I just ask over the next few minutes that what is said would bring honor to your name. 
And we'll give you the praise for it. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, and we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Now, you may or may not be familiar with this last Christmas carol of Go Tell It on the Mountain. But it was written by slaves between 1840 and 1860. And here's what the verses and the chorus of the song say. It says this, While shepherds kept their watch over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. The shepherds feared and trembled when lo, above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Go, tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go, tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. It goes on to say this. Down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. He made me a watchman upon a city wall, and if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. Go, tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. See, we believe that this carol came from two separate passages. The first passage probably most of us are familiar with, and that's out of Luke chapter number two, where the angels came and told the shepherds that Jesus was born. But the second passage comes from the book that the prophet Isaiah wrote, and that's that he was foretelling the good news of when a Messiah would be announced through the whole earth. So if you have a copy of the scriptures or you have it on your phone, look it up right here, Isaiah 52 and verse number seven. And here's what that verse says. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And not only does Isaiah do this, but I believe that Paul, in his book to the Romans, he gives us his version of the Great Commission. And in Romans chapter number 10, Paul shows the urgency of getting the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again from the dead for our salvation. And that good news is for everyone. Not just the Jew, but also the Gentile. Not just the rich, but also for the poor. And they need to accept that good news. And so Paul in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 14, he says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? He goes on in verse 15 and says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and he refers back to Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So this song does what Paul did in his book to the Romans, in his letter to the Romans. And it merges, it connects this idea of the Great Commission and the Christmas story. And I think there are some things that we can see that will help us understand who we should be telling this good news to. See, the first verse of this carol shows us that the message of Christ's birth came to the shepherds first. Now, I don't think it's any coincidence that the slaves who wrote this song related to the shepherds. See, I think when we celebrate Christmas, we have this idea of a rosy colored picture of Christmas. I think we grew up going to the Christmas pageants where we find the cute little kids to play the shepherds. 
But to be honest, a better portrait of a shepherd would probably be a homeless person. In fact, I always think of Tom Hanks in Castaway when I think of what the shepherds look like. See, they were the rejects of society. This was the least desirable job, the ultimate unskilled labor. In fact, many times children and young people were made to do this job. If you're familiar with scripture, you know in the Old Testament, Samuel is out looking for the next king and he comes to the house of Jesse and Jesse calls all his boys in except for one. And the one he doesn't call in is David, who is the youngest and he's out watching the sheep. It has the idea if you were a grown man and you were a shepherd, it would be like saying this, if someone were to ask you what your grown son does for a living, and you would have to be honest and say, he lives in my basement and plays video games all day. That's how people felt about shepherds. They were dirty, they were smelly, they were not even considered respectable citizens. They were the ones that had to stand in the back. They worked seven days a week, so they couldn't even observe the Sabbath. In fact, they were so low that their testimony in court was not even considered. So that being said, if you were making the choice, would this be the first group of people you would announce the birth of the king of kings to? But why did God choose the shepherds? Why well, think he chose them? Because it shows the nature of the gospel. See, in coming to the shepherds, God reached out to those who everyone considered on the bottom. And in that, he showed that no one is too broken, no one is too poor, and no one is too insignificant for his kingdom. In fact, I believe he prefers the broken because they are in a position to receive the good news. See, those who are rich in money, they don't think they need security. Those who are rich in talent or good looks, they don't need God's approval because they already have everyone else's. And those who are rich in moral goodness say, listen, if God's going to accept anyone, it's going to be me. But this is all an illusion. One small microscopic bacteria entering into your body can change your whole outlook. One, one phone call of a wreck could devastate you and take everything that you cherish. One unexpected call into your boss's office at the end of the day could ruin your financial prospects. And if we think we're decent people, then really all we need to do is look in the mirror and understand that we are so bad we could never measure up. See, God's favor has to be received as a gift. It has to be given. That's the only way it can be received. It has to be received by people that understand they can't earn it. And if anybody understood this, it was the shepherds. They were the ones that had to stand to the back. They were the ones who are always looking up. See, we don't have to be a shepherd or a slave to accept the gospel, the good news, the truth, but we have to have a heart like one. And many old spirituals focus on God's promise of relief from suffering. This past year, our staff, we were able to read a book written by Tony Evans. And in that book, he gave us a clearer picture of how even though facing horrific circumstances, many slaves understood that the birth of Christ was bringing a new world in which sin, suffering, and the slave master would have no longer rule over them. 
We have seen through this series at Christmas that sin and death and the curse will not have the last word. Think about that first week when we talked about joy to the world and how Isaac Watts was going through a tough time and he was suffering, but he understood that was not the last word. And when Christ was born, he erased the curse. This curse that our world is under is just temporary. See, I think sometimes we forget to tell people that salvation is not only the forgiveness of sin, but it's also healing from the curse. See, salvation is a reverse of the curse. It's not just looking to something in the future, but in the here and now, God can reverse the curse of sin in our life. See, many people envision heaven as this bodiless, colorless existence where we float on a cloud and play a harp. But the book of Revelation says that heaven actually is a new heaven and a new earth. And I got thinking about this, and you know, I love steak. And I can imagine... A ribeye steak, man, I'm thinking about it right now and it makes me want to eat one as soon as I get done speaking today. But as good as a ribeye steak tastes now, can you imagine what one that is perfect will taste like? And I've seen some beautiful things in my life. I've been to the Grand Canyon, I've been to other countries and to think of the Grand Canyon or tropical rainforest or even mountains and how beautiful they are now, imagine when they are perfect, how beautiful they will be. And see, The curse has touched us in a lot of ways. If I'm honest, curse has touched me in a lot of ways. Today, maybe your family isn't perfect. Maybe it's torn apart. Maybe your health has been suffering. Maybe no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to get ahead. But the great news of the gospel is that it can bring healing to our life in the here and now. And one day this curse will be reversed. So understanding that the gospel is for everyone and that it heals the curse of sin, this Christmas carol challenges us to go tell it on the mountain. Now, when we think about that, we think about the fact that there is no one too lowly, there's no one too poor, there's no one too guilty, too insignificant that can't receive the good news of Christ because it is for everyone. This idea of telling it on the mountain goes back to the time of Christ. Many cities were, were built in valleys and there was mountains on either side. And these cities would have walls built around them. There would be protection. And in order to get good news, it wasn't the fact that they texted each other or sent each other an email or jumped on their phone. No, they would have guys on top of the mountain and on this mountain, they would be holding a flag. And on the walls of the city would be men, watchmen posted, and they would be watching to see the good news. And when there was good news, they would wave that flag so that all could see that that something great had happened. And that's why the writer of this carol, Go Tell It On a Mountain, says this, he made me a watchman upon the city wall. We are watching for the good news. And this is what Isaiah imagined in his passage. Groups of people scattered all around, different cities, different situations, different classes, waiting, overwhelmed by the curse, scared of death without hope. And we take that flag, we're the messenger, and we wave that the battle is over, the kingdom is restored. See, there is no group anywhere, no matter how broken or lost, surrounded by whatever mountains of oppression 
that Jesus has not won the victory for. This year, we're partnering with two organizations at Miles City that help human trafficking and are, and are working to end that. And you imagine the people that are, they are reaching. They're hopeless. They're without any future. And yet these organizations come in and give them the love of Jesus and show them the love of Christ. Mother Teresa said this. She said, the poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty of them all. See, those are the ones that Jesus came to first. He came to the shepherds. Those are the ones that needed to be told of the hope of the gospel. All around us, there are people that need hope. There are people that are hopeless, that are overwhelmed, that need restoration. And yet so many times we sit around and say that we're not called. We're waiting for some kind of Damascus Road experience to get us excited about telling others. Listen to what William Booth said. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And he said this, not called, did you say? Refuse to hear the call, I think you should say. Just put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. See, this is not an invitation. It is an imperative. We are commanded to go out. This, we have to have a sense of urgency. The question isn't have I been called, it's only where and how. And this carol challenges us to go tell them, we need to come across that mountain waving the flag of good news that, hey, Jesus has won the victory and his grace and his mercy and his love are for you. Maybe for some of us, the mountain we need to cross is across the street. Let me be honest with you. Talking to my neighbors about Jesus is one of the hardest things for me to do. And I can stand on a stage and I can talk to strangers and I can talk to people online and tell them what they need to do. But when it comes to walking across the street and talking to my neighbor, I struggle. In fact, I have a neighbor that lives behind me that is one of those people that's hard to talk to. I've talked to her husband several times over the fence. They're right behind our house. And he seems like a nice guy and he's been very enjoyable to talk to. But his wife is a different story. His wife has yelled at my kids for playing in the snow and being too loud. She's got all my boys for they were helping me out, pouring the oil from my turkey fryer into a container on our side of the fence. And she yelled at him for spilling some in the grass. In fact, this fall, I was blowing leaves in my yard and she came out and watched me to make sure that I didn't blow any leaves into her yard, even though it was the leaves from her tree. I'm going to be honest I struggle and I have failed in telling her of the good news of Christ because that's the kind of people that need that hope. That is the mountain I need to get on top and wave the flag. And maybe it means just saying a kind word to her or maybe helping in their yard with their leaves or dropping off some food or maybe they have a project going on that I can help them with. 
But when I do that, that opens up conversations. See, God doesn't call us to be flawless. He just wants us to be faithful. Not flawless, just faithful. And maybe you sit here today and you say, you know what? I need the hope you're talking about. Someone has told me the good news of the gospel. And maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard that hope. But today, you can put your hope, you can put your trust in Jesus Christ because he loves you. And here's what he did for you. He came and he was born. That's what Christmas is all about. We celebrate his birth. But not only that, he lived a life so that he could die and be buried and rise again for us. And he did that so that he could have a relationship with you. And today, if you're honest and you say, that's the kind of hope that I need this Christmas season, then I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you just bow your head where you're at right now? And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Now, this prayer doesn't do anything magical. It's just us talking to God. But if you would do that, if you'd bow your head, close your eyes, and just pray this prayer with me. Say something like this. Say, God, I confess my sins to you. And Jesus, I believe that you're God. And I want to thank you for dying in my place. And you did that to pay for my sin. Thank you for rising again for me. And God, today, I want to lower my pride. I want to humble myself, and I want to put my hope in you. I surrender my life to you. And Jesus, right now, I receive that gift in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you did that today, that's the greatest thing you could ever do. This will be the best Christmas you've ever had because you've received that gift of a relationship with Christ. And let me encourage you, if you made that faith move to put your hope in Christ today, would you just do me a favor? Would you take a minute and text the word my faith to 94,000? And we here at Miles City would love to come alongside you and encourage you and answer any questions that you might have. But what about the rest of us? I got, I mean, I've, I received that hope. I received that hope many years ago. But sometimes I'm not telling it on the mountain. And the mountain for me is the neighbor behind my house. And so I want you to think about these things as you go today. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Who am I telling? Who are you telling? And the second question I want you to think about, where is God calling me to tell? For me, I know it's the neighbor behind my house. And then the last thing I want you to ask yourself is this. Who do I owe the truth? Who is my one? Who am I going to wave that flag to and give the good news of the gospel?